Hi, I'm Sammy Shulman. And I'm Aaron Kirkpatrick. And welcome back to The Floater. Today we are very excited to introduce to you guys a special guest, um, Mr. Adam Eisenberg. Adam, are you with us? I am. I'm so glad to be here with you guys. Thank you so much for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about why you think you're why you think you were invited? So I'm really not sure. Uh, I'm a kind of a sports guy. Um, I know Sammy, and I'm not sure if um, Alex is a sports guy also, but I'm sure you guys are. Um, so here we are at a time when there's not much, there's not many sports to talk about. So um, let's see if we can figure out something to talk about. All right. Well, you. You're being a little modest, I feel like, in terms of <laughs> you have a little bit of a uh, a past, you know, sports, right? You were so that, that 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 is true. So so my sports career um, started like kind of most kids do, you know, playing in the backyard and pick up and stuff like that, and um, really just coming out of childhood and everything. You 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 find your passions where they are, but really your parents kind of mold you a little bit when you're early years, right? So if your dad's really big into football, you're going to be really big into football. If your dad's really big into ice hockey, you're going to be big into ice right. hockey. Um, for me, <clears throat> believe it or not, it was, it was baseball. Baseball was something that I played early on. Um, and then, I don't know, are you guys watching The Last Dance? Yeah, of, uh, course. of course. Right now? Of course. So – Growing up in Chicago in 1983 and 1986, between 83 and 86, you really start to get a buzz about this young kid from North Carolina, and he was on the news all the time. He was in the newspaper all the time, and you just started to see he's going to do something that nobody's ever done before. And as a kid, you didn't know that. So... Michael Jordan and his influence on the game of basketball really influenced me to really, really fall in love with the sport. Right. So when I moved, when we moved from Chicago to the DC area, the love and the passion continued. And I played in high school for my high school team, as most people do. Um, and then I went to a small division three school uh, out in Western Maryland called Frostburg State University. Um, but backing up for a minute, uh, my one thing about my high school team that but probably not many people know is we were a part of the longest state championship game in U.S. history at the time where our state finals played at the University of Maryland um, went five overtimes. Right. And I think you've shown me actually, some I think you've shown me some memorabilia from your high school days. Yeah, yeah. At some it, point or it's another. Very nice. It's very nice to, to reminisce about that. But, of course. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the funny things is that uh, future NBA All-Star, or I don't know if you ever made it to an All-Star game, but a lottery pick, Michael Sweetney, was um, playing on the other team as a freshman. So huh. we, had some, we had some pretty serious competition back then in the D.C. area. Um, and so still having that passion, having that drive in basketball, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't a good guy. I wasn't a, a, a kid that was going to get any scholarships anywhere. So I found a small division three school out in Western Maryland called Frostburg state university. And uh, they said, you know what, Adam, we're not really giving out any scholarships. Uh, we have our team pretty set, but if you would like to come and try out, you're more than welcome to try to walk on. 
and I was one of only I was actually the only kid that wasn't invited oh, wow. to walk on. Um, and I played two years at Frostburg. Um, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, yeah, actually, I played two years at Frostburg. You know, I'm up at so Deep Creek you, right now, and so we drive by Frostburg. Uh... Sammy, did we lose you? I think we might have lost Sammy. So, but you played two years at Frostburg State University? Yep, two years at Frostburg State University, and then um, suffered a knee injury. So that was kind of really the end of uh, my playing career. But the passion and the drive still still was inside. You know, you, you love the game. You love the simplicity of the game. You love the creativity of the game. You love the pressure that a clock presents. And that's why I always said, you know, when you look at other major sports, basketball really is the only sport that, de- that demands team concepts but has the opportunity for individual achievement, you know? Yeah, where, you guys hear me now? Where you, yeah. Okay, good. Yep. Sorry about that. So right. when you look at other sports, you know, baseball, you have one-on-nine – and then the and then if you're dependent upon your other teammates to knock you in and hit you around the bases, you know, football, if not everybody does their job, the play doesn't work. So you're really independent on everybody else. But with basketball, it's so fluid and it's so it's almost like a dance and poetry whereby you have a team concept, but still you have the opportunity for individual achievements. And that was really drew me to the game. So after my playing days. I still wanted to stay involved with that type of magic that basketball provides. Mm-hmm. So I started, so one of my, one of my friends looked at me and he says, you know what, you're, you're a really great student of the game. You should be a coach. And my high school coach said, you, you were one of the better players that I had that understood the system that we were working and how to get people in the right position to be successful. So try coaching. And I was the student assistant for the women's team at Frostburg state for my junior and senior year which taught me a lot about the differences, really the true differences between the men's game and the women's game. The women's game back then was so fundamentally sound that girls would be able to run a pick and roll or an offense to a T because some of them didn't have the natural athletic ability like the men do to just improvise or get to the rim and score when they want to. Nowadays, women's games have, I think, really surpassed the men's game as far as fundamental and ability to be creative. But we can talk about that in another instance. So I wanted to stay involved. I tried coaching, but there was still, I mean, I was like 20, 21 years old, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was still, there was still the passion to be on the floor in the game. So I came home and I looked around and I talked to my high school coach again and he goes, you know, they're really looking for referees in this area. And I, I look at him, I go, referee? He goes, yeah, just think about it. You're on the floor. You're still part of the game. You're, you're helping, you know, ensure that the game is fair. And you're still involved. And you're up and down the court. You're not standing on the sidelines. And I was like, you know what? That's kind of cool. Let me, let me I'll, I'll try it. I don't know. I mean, referees, we all... I hated referees. They were big fat guys that could run up and down, that couldn't run up and down the court. And I was like, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be yelled at in a referee, but I was like, all right, let me try it. So I refer, so I took the, the high school class, you know, to be certified. And I started out doing, um, 
middle school and junior high games in the local DC area. And all of a sudden the bug just bit me, man. And I was off and running and that was 2000. Right. So for the past 20 years, I was doing, I was involved in refereeing and, and the way that the referees kind of work is you go from typically, I mean, everybody has their own path in life, but you go from high school and then you move up to bigger games in high school and tournaments and things like that. And then if you have aspirations to go to co- the collegiate level, you normally start doing division three and junior college and work your way up there. And it's just been a crazy, crazy ride for the past 20 years. Um, so for my refereeing career, I started, just like I said, doing local high school games, worked a couple uh, state cha- state finals games, right. worked a couple city finals games. Um, and then people just started noticing me as somebody that has a feel for the game. And I always say that the best players, the best players make great, great referees, like former players make good referees because they have a natural, they have a natural instinct to say, okay, if the guard's penetrating on a three on two break, he, you know, he's going to pass to this guy. He's their scorer. He's their main uh, attacker, attacker for the rim. You have to know where to be. So you kind of shade to that side and automatically you put yourself in a position to get the best angle to see the play all the way through. And that's really where playing and knowing the game helped in my refereeing career because there are certain guys that were just had the look to be on TV better than I did. They knew some of them knew the nuances of the rules better than I did, but I was able to manage a game better than some people. And that's how my, that's how my uh, refereeing career really got going. So started out doing division three games and division and uh, junior college games in the area. So all the Montgomery County junior colleges I went to everywhere from Hartford, Hartford community college, Cecil community college down to Southern Maryland to Garrett um, to Allegheny and then everywhere in the DC metro area. Also I did um, small division three schools. So Gettysburg and Frostburg and, um, Chippensburg for a division two league. And it was just all the schools that are kind of sparse and spread out. Those are the games that you really start doing to build that, that resume as a, as an NCAA official. And the goal, the goal was always the final four, right? Right. That's the goal. The goal is to always be one of those, uh, three, six, uh, four, eight, 12, 16 or 20 referees that make it to the last, last four gate, last, three games of the season. Right. Yeah. Um, So, but you know, when I was refereeing, there was, there was what I think when I stopped refereeing, there was probably 2000 division one officials, maybe a little less, maybe like 1500 division one officials. Wow. 90 worked the tournament. Right. So what's the, uh, what's the peak of your repping? Did you get to division one? You did right at one point. Yeah. Yeah, so so I worked my way up. I worked uh, Division three. Um, then I was picked up by two Division two conferences. How does that work? Uh, actually, like, three. three. Like, do you get like oh, an offer? Great question. Great question. So it's it. I mean, again, things have changed in the last probably five years, or in the probably last two years since I've retired. Uh, things have really changed, and what you used to do. So the conferences 
are run by commissioners, right? right? And the commissioners hire an assigner for the officials. So officials would travel all over the country going to camps. Mm -hmm. So when you see AAU camps or Nike camps or Adidas camps, you see referees there. So I was one of those referees that was refereeing LeBron James when he was a senior in high school. Oh, wow. I was refereeing, I was refereeing OJ Mayo when he was down in Florida. I was refereeing, um, Draymond Green when he was a senior in high school. Oh, I never. I was refereeing. I never knew any of this. Oh yeah. I'm so glad you came. Oh yeah. I was refer. Uh, who were some of the other big guys that I was refereeing? Um, I saw Kevin Durant in high school. Makes sense. And James Vasquez and, and James Vasquez some in high school when guys. they were at Montrose Christian. Yep, when they were at Montrose Christian. Um, let's see, who are the other guys that I went to in camp? Oh, how about Zion Williams? Oh, I guess I've heard of what. Him. Guess I've heard of that oh, guy. Oh yeah. Wait. When so, did you get to ref for Zion? So Zion, that was so that camp was for the um, Southern Conference. So so you try to get in with these commissioners and you go to these camps and you referee these big time. I mean, I'm talking when I when I was down in Florida and when I was down in Dallas for uh, my first year and when I did LeBron. And then when I did OJ Mayo, oh, good old OJ I'm Mayo. talking about, I'm talking about, yeah, but I'm, I'm 20 years old, 21 oh. years old. Right. And I mean, yeah, I'm 21, 22 years old. And this, the gym, same, the gym is packed and you have Roy Williams sitting there. You have, um, who's the guy from Miami? I'm um, not sure. No, no, no. Who's the head coach? Yeah, from I'm Miami? not sure. Uh, uh, Laranega, oh, right, right? right? You right. have Jimmy Laranega sitting there. You have every college coach, every program in the country is represented there. I can't tell you how many times I've bumped into Bruce Pearl, who <laughs> is by far one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And you think, and you, it's like crazy, right? Tubby Smith, again, one of the nicest guys I've ever met. But they're all sitting there watching these college, watching these high school kids because that that's who they're recruiting. Right. So the college commissioners, if you, they see you referee and hold your own in that type of arena they say you know what we're going to give this kid a shot and we're going to give him some preseason games we're going to give him maybe some non-conference games see how he does and then maybe we'll bring him on as a full-time guy and really really work him in our system so i was doing division two in philadelphia and in west you were still working uh, on other stuff at the time right like this wasn't your only job at any point was it 99% 99% of the guys that you see on TV right. have – this is their second right. job. It's very, very rare. That, or, they're, or they're either retired military, mm-hmm. so, we, so we thank them for their service, or they're, they're an entrepreneur and they own their own business that enables to travel them. So I would have to drive on a Tuesday night. I would leave my job at, say, noon, drive to Wheeling, West Virginia – which is four hours away from the D.C. area, four and a half hours away from the D.C. area, do Wheeling and um, West Liberty or Wheeling and, you know, Charleston and the West Virginia Conference, which, is a, which was ranked one of the top three conferences in the country for Division Two at the time. Um, and then, so the game would start at 8, game would end by 10, guys would shower, Guys, and then we would just get on the road and drive home, and I'd have to go to work the next day. I'd get home at two, three in the morning. Right. Yeah. 
and that was just division two. That was, you know, same thing for Philadelphia. So guys travel all over the country. I mean, Western Pennsylvania, East, I mean, God forbid you go up to um, Slippery Rock, which is halfway, which is almost due east of New York, but still in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. That's six hours. You got to do that on, on a Wednesday night because basketball, you know, those guys play basketball is every day during the season. There's a basketball game on every night, no matter if it's division one, division two, II, division three. So you work your way up and you get different skills and you develop your craft in refereeing on how you manage coaches and how you manage players. I mean, I can tell you a story. Um, when I was refereeing Draymond right. Green, he was, he was just as competitive as he is now. He had just an attitude as he is now. But you know what? I'm not taking attitude from a 16-year-old right. kid. <laughs> I understand you're special. I understand you're special. And, you know, you go up to him after he, after he probably blocked somebody's shot and get, get that out of here or said something. I said, hey, man, you're one of the best players on the court, but I want to see you on the court. You have people watching you. You don't want to do something stupid. And he goes, man, stuff yourself. I go, okay, that's fine. Whack, technical foul. <laughs> you gave, wait, is this a true story? You gave Draymond Green a technical foul? This was a good, no, I kicked him out of the game oh. because in the second half, in the second half, he decided to do something stupid again. And he looked at me and he goes, I told you, MFR. And I go, all right, whack, get out. Wow. And so threw you threw out. Draymond Green I, out, of a, out of what, like a scrimmage? Out of an, oh, no, it was an oh, AAU like game. An AAU game, wow. Yeah, it was AAU. So I was like, whack, get out. My assigner came over to me, and he looked at me, and he goes, that's why I hired you. Okay? Wow. Uh, fast forward to you want to talk about Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson is by far the best pure athlete I've ever seen in my life. Makes sense. Two plays in the game that happened. Um, again, same thing. The gym is packed. There are people hanging over people in South Carolina, at the University of South Carolina, where this camp was held, to see this kid because, A, he's from South Carolina. Everybody knows he's going to Duke. Everybody knows he's just going to Duke for a year because he's going to be a lottery pick. And, I mean, he was just unbelievable. So we're on a break. There's a fast break. He's on defense. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm running along the sideline. He is running opposite of me. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. So he's on, he's on the other side of the floor. I'm on the side closest to the bench. The shot goes up. He jumps from the other side of the lane, across the lane, pins the ball on the backboard on the other side of the rim and blocks it away. Jeez. And the coach looks at me. The coach looks at me. He goes, that's goaltending. That's goaltending. I look at him. And I go, there is no way in hell that was goaltending. <laughs> Because the rule is, is that once the ball touches the backboard, it's off limits, right? right? Yeah. Nobody can touch it. But if you take the basketball to the backboard or meet it at the backboard, completely legal yeah. play. And he was just – I mean, that just kind of made me sit there and go, wow, he's something special. But later in the game, again, everybody knows who he is. So referees kind of watch out for what we call special mm-hmm. players like that because – you know, you don't want them to get hurt. You don't want them to abuse their special privilege like Draymond, right? right? Yeah. Some, 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 some lesser referees would have let that go and said, you know what, he, people are here to watch him, so on and so forth. That's, I'm here to get a job. Everybody in the NCAA is right. on like a one-year contract. It's not just contract. them playing for their NBA careers. You're playing for your – or you're refing for your referee career. I'm, I'm refereeing right. for my contract. I, I mean, I know a guy – so – and so – the way that it works also, and I'm, I'll get back to the Zion story, but 
to make you guys understand and everybody who's listening, nothing is guaranteed. Obviously, nothing is guaranteed in life. But in refereeing, surely nothing is guaranteed where you have a guy that works. I know a guy that rose up through the ranks pretty quickly. He's a pretty good referee. He's a nice guy. He probably did 25 or 30 games in the ACC Mm -hmm. two years ago. The ACC pays what the ACC pays. I mean, they're a top three conference right. in the country. Yeah. Okay. Then next year, he got three. Three games? Three games wow. in the ACC. So he went from working 25 games at, let's just say, round numbers, $1,000 mm-hmm. a game. Well, Wait, it's so more like $2,000. Per game? Per game. Per game. Wow. By the conference, remember, remember, I'm 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 an employee. I'm an independent contractor, but I'm hired by the right. ACC. I don't work for a team. I don't work for a school. So that's why when people say, "Oh, Duke always gets the home calls because they pay the referees," they don't pay the referees. The ACC pays right. the referees. Huh? There you go. Duke, Duke. It, it seems like it seems like Duke gets calls because um, the way that Coach Shashevsky runs his program is he makes. He makes you make a decision. You watch it all the time. They, there are block charges. There are illegal screens. There's all kinds of stuff going on in games. But he makes referees make decisions. And if you don't have the inner with the, the inner fortitude to be able to deal with 2,500 people, which is all Cameron Indoor holds, it's a small stadium, but you're at Duke with the banners hanging up in front of you, which, which a Hall of Fame coach yelling at you, make that call. Right. That's hard. Yeah. That's hard. So, so refereeing, nothing is guaranteed. So when we, when, we, when we go back to that Zion Williamson story, everybody knows who he is. And I'm sitting there in this – it's funny. I'm sitting there in the same position. We're on a free throw. We're on the same position, and I'm watching Zion is in the, is in the second spot. So you have an offense. You have a defense, offense, right. and defense. Right. Yeah. And Zion, Zion is the offensive player. Okay. So his teammate shoots a free throw. He misses. Zion takes his forearm and very so slightly extends it, but, but nudges the guy under him so that he can then elevate, grab the rebound and lay it back in. And before he has a chance to lay it back in, which is literally a split second because of how quick and explosive he is, I'm blowing my whistle. And I'm pointing the other way because I have an offensive foul. My assigner ran onto the court. He was sitting next to Johnny Dawkins. Oh, who? That's the um, who does, that's who does yeah, Johnny Dawkins? Right? Uh, wait, wait for us. Oh, uh, yeah, Central Florida, Central Florida, right? So he's sitting next to Johnny Dawkins because because so my assigner refereed in the ACC when Johnny Dawkins played, and he was a Hall of Fame referee. So my assigner runs out on the floor grabs you by the shirt and he goes that's exactly why i hired you that's why <laughs> that's gotta feel good and then you and then you, yeah of course because a you know right. you're gonna get a contract and you're gonna get and you're gonna you, get a couple you games have to, as a so rep, you have to you know find a balance i guess between like revving the game and not getting starstruck uh yeah. very, very true very true and it's and it's and it's hard to do but when people ask me all the time when they say you know, do you hear the people yelling at you on the floor? I go, I don't even pay attention. And they go, do you know who's in the stands? Like, do you know? And I go, no, I have no, I don't care who's in the stands. Do you know, did you know that this kid is going to Wake Forest? Did you know that this kid has a scholarship to UCLA? Do you know that this kid is going to the D league? Nope. And I don't care. 
because my job, so, so this is the one thing that, that people on the outside of the world or non-referees don't know. A referee's job, we are the keepers right. of the game, right? Yeah. We, we are the ones that say, what's fair? It's by the rules. So if team A creates an advantage against team B, that's illegal. That's a foul or that's a violation. And that's where refereeing those 10 kids, because that's all they are. And that's the other thing that people don't understand. Zion Williamson was 17 mm-hmm. years old when I saw him. I was 27. No, I'm sorry. 27. Yeah, I'm I was 40 years say. old. I was 30. <laughs> I didn't want to. <laughs> I was third. I was third. No, mm-hmm. I was 37 years old. So he's just a kid, right? Yeah. He's just a kid. Great. Granted, he, again, is the greatest athlete I've ever personally seen in my life, but he's just a kid. So referees have to take that into consideration, especially when they talk to kids. Like I never like to see a referee get into a player's face because right. that's not their job. Their job is to administer the rules as it is played within the game. Now, granted, do, do referees miss mm-hmm. calls? Of course. Well, they're human. You remember, they're um, human. Uh, during my you know graduation party, it was right after that. What was it? Yep. The Jazz. I can't remember exactly, but it was oh Jazz. Was that uh, LeBron? No, travel? it was the Damian Lillard non goaltending call. And oh and my I god, mean, you were Horrible. talking to me how like because you know that's how you think like you're like oh man you can't miss that call. It's true. It just ruined the game. So it, it, it made a huge, it made a huge impact. And people always, we always tell younger referees the last, especially in the collegiate game, the the, the professional Mm -hmm. game is so different. The professional game, the referees that referee the professional game, a people don't understand the rules are written differently. So a travel in the NCAA is not a travel in the NBA. There are different rules. I mean, there is no clear path to the basket in the, in, in, the, in the amateur game, in the NCAA. There is obviously a clear path to the basket in the NBA game because the rules are just different. The rules are different because the players are so mm-hmm. special. Like, for instance, the reason why they put in that half circle underneath the, the basket is literally, truth be told, because of LeBron James. Because the NBA saw that Kobe was on his downswing in his career – the NBA didn't have another key marketable player yet that has emerged. Here comes this kid out of Akron who is doing amazing things that we've never seen before. And they didn't want a eighth, ninth, 10th position player on the bench sliding over to take a charge, knocking LeBron's legs out. LeBron breaks his leg. There goes your right. marquee player. For I mean, the there's, I feel like wow. in sports a lot is so like they, that. I mean, in baseball, uh, they changed the whole running into the catcher thing once Buster Posey, you know, broke his leg. So, Break his yeah. leg, correct, correct, right. I mean, you, yep. So, so you have to know that, and um, as a as a referee, you just understand how to maneuver throughout the game um, with those type of players. Um, well, oh, so so when we're talking about how good mm-hmm. the NBA officials are. The NBA officials, when they blow their whistle, are rated about 94 to 96% correct. So that means when they don't blow their whistle and everybody says, that's a foul, 96% of the time, it wasn't a foul. They got the call correct. And they're actually graded and reviewed in the game by somebody hired by the NBA for every NBA team. There is somebody in the stands rating the officials, where they stand, where they sit 
how they present themselves. And then you go into the tape breakdown and they will literally break down every whistle after the game for two hours. Sounds like or a so. fun job. Jeez. So those, well, you're refereeing the yeah. best basketball in the world, right? I mean, Laura Heidkamp, who's one of only three women officials in the NBA right now, mm-hmm. is rated one of the highest. Scott Foster, Scott Foster, who um, is a 30-year veteran of the of the NBA. He's worked, I don't know how many game sevens in the finals and big games and so on and so forth. He works them because he's always mm-hmm. rated so high. I mean, Joey Crawford, uh, Joey Crawford, Crawford for as 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 crass and hit and and as and as kind of outlandish as he might have been and how short of a leash he might have had, he was always rated one of the top because he gets the plays right. And that's the difference between the NBA and the amateur game. Yeah. Right. So as like as a referee, <laughs> so, what is your what is your stance on like yeah. the NBA getting more and more into, you know, video review? And is that something like you're with because they can get the calls right more of the time, or do you think it kind of ruins the flow of the game? What's your stance there? So I, I that, that's a that's a fantastic question. I'm glad you asked that. I think that the NBA has set a gold standard in professional sports for using technology to get plays right. Because if you think back to, um, I mean, again, the NBA, so, so we, we talked about watching right. um, The Last Dance, right? So you're, you're looking at plays that happened in the 80s and the 90s where between the Detroit Pistons, the early days with, with Dr. J and Moses Malone in the Sixers mm-hmm. and Charles Barkley, and then you move forward to, to the 90s New York Knicks, I'd say 85 to 90% of the plays that you see Jordan and some of the other, you know, scores of that day, those right, are flagrant twos and they're out of the game. Those are absolutely so, – so the rules have completely changed in the NBA over time. And I think that once the reason – now, why did the NBA need – they really needed to adopt technology and use that video replay, but why? Because guys like – Kevin Durant, we've never seen a guy like that before. He's too fast. He's too quick. Guys like Steve Nash that were able and, – and, and back in the day, Tim Hardaway's, you know, were too quick with the ball. Everybody would say Allen Iverson carried the ball. He really didn't. He really didn't carry the ball per the rule, but they didn't know that because he was doing it at such right. a fast pace. Uh-huh. So they had to implement and inject some sort of replay and, and technology to make sure that – people were getting the calls correct because that's what it's about at the end of the day. So I think that the NBA really did a, has done a phenomenal job implementing technology to make sure that it helps referees get the plays right. And you guys don't, and people don't know this referees watch a bunch of tape. That's what we do. We watch tape so that when, when a referee misses a call, a referee only misses a call because of two reasons. A they're out of position to see the play or B they were surprised by something, something that they've never seen before. And, Oh, that surprised me. So when people say, Oh, that's a travel, it might look funny, but did he or she move their pivot foot before they put the ball on the floor? Did they take an extra step before they you know, went into their habitual motion in their shot? Probably not because the referees have trained their eyes. I'll tell you a funny story. When I was, when I was refereeing, um, I would record games, NBA games especially, mm-hmm. but sometimes college games. 
I would record, I would record them on my DVR and on my off nights, I would sit there and watch the whole game, but I would watch it kind of, you remember how the DVR you'd have like fast forward, you'd have like time two times four times six. I would watch, I would watch it at times two. I'd watch the whole game faster than what it was actually being played at to help train my eyes to see where screens are coming from, how picks are being set. How are guys meeting each other to block out underneath the basket? How are guys taking charges? And, and that enabled me to, when I got on the floor, everything seemed so much slower. So I was able to train my eyes and watch tape and use that technology to get myself better as a referee. Right. I mean, wow. go ahead, Aaron. Um, I, I have a question about, like, from your time refing, you said, like, when you were talking about like how referees in the ACC, they can't be phased by the fans, like in uh, where Duke plays, there's only 2,500 fans, but you still can't be phased by them. Did you ever have yeah. an experience where you felt phased by like the crowd? If that absolutely. makes sense. Um, absolutely. As, as a younger official, when, when, when I'm, when I'm in front of 5,000 people at, you know, in, at a AAU camp, that um that and i see every big time college coach that you watch on tv every night and i'm sitting there with my with my two partners saying oh my god how do i you better not screw this up because when you make a call somebody's somebody's upset when you make a call right yeah nobody's watching the the game (laughs) that's just how that's just how it works oh never never and that and that you know what that was one of the highest compliments i've ever received by one of the coaches where he would, he came up to us at the end of the game and he was the losing coach. And he goes, I didn't even know you guys were there. Thank you. Travel safe. Right. We're like coach. Thanks so much. That's Crazy. the highest, that's the highest um, compliment that you can give an official because people come to watch the players. People come to get excited about the coach yeah. and, and, and see the talent. They're not here to see me. I'm just here. And as observer, and somebody to administer the rules and make sure that everybody that kids play fairly and kids are safe. And that's just what it's about. So there have definitely been times throughout my career where, Oh, I'll tell you, um, I got a chance to work um, a city final at the Verizon center at the later part of my career. And when I was early in my career, I went to a couple NBA camps to see if I wanted Mm -hmm. to kind of pursue that, that route. And this was before the D league. So it was very hard to break into the NBA system. Yeah. So I went to a camp uh, in Harrisonburg, Virginia. It was George Tolliver's camp, um, mm-hmm. who's a former NBA official who now his son is an, his son is an NBA official. I think his daughter played in the plays in the WNBA or played in the WNBA. She was a Maryland graduate. So I go there and I'm seeing Scott Foster. I'm meeting Ed O'Neill. I'm meeting, um, uh, uh, Tony brothers. And I sit there and I have a conversation with Tom Washington and this mm-hmm. is 20 years ago. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there with Tom Washington, who I've seen on TV before. He's an NBA official for probably 10 years at that point. Um, and, and I, and, he, and we start just right. talking about the life of a referee, you know, at that time in the NBA referees didn't sleep in their bed. two nights in a row. Move. Think of that. So, so if you would think, you know, let's just start in the D.C. area, yeah. right? You do a game in D.C. The next night you do a game in New York. The next night you do a game in Boston. 
The next night you fly to Minneapolis. The next night you fly to Indiana. The next night you fly to Dallas. The next night you fly to Portland. The next night you fly to Florida. Did you ever the want you to really home. be an NBA referee to go through all that? Um, there was a there was a time that you settled that definitely on. I you, did, well, you have a nice but, family now. Um, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm very blessed to have to have a nice to have a wonderful family. I have a wife that she and I will be married 11 years in July and we have a 9-year-old daughter and and I mean the the guys that do the NCAA stuff Sam and Andrew they 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 travel just as much if not more sometimes because of depending on how many conferences they work for, right? I mean when you're an NBA employee, you're unionized, that's your you get benefits, that's your job. Right. That is your 100% full-time job. You work 8 9 months out of the year and get paid 12 and that's just your job. Um, but you're on a one-year contract also. Everybody's on a one-year contract. Nobody has five, six, seven-year seven-year contracts. You're just on a, you're an at-will employee, just like anybody else. Um, so I'm sitting there with Tom Washington at this camp, and we're talking basketball, and we're talking refereeing, and he says, do you know anybody else that goes to work mm-hmm. and the building shakes? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, when I worked the finals between when I worked the the Eastern the Western Conference finals between the Jazz and the Rockets, you walk out of the Rockets locker room and you can see the building shake. Right, the stands are shaking. And he said same thing with the Boston Garden, same thing with the old Dallas Maverick Stadium, same thing with the Forum. He goes, the building is because of the energy and the and the noise that is in that stadium. The building is shaking and you have to go out in front of 20,000 people right. and do your job. Could you do that? Yeah. And I said, I don't know. I mean, I'm 20 years old. I don't know. But that's when, when you think about the NBA officials, they really, they're really something special yeah, absolutely. and something to be admired. Um, but I mean, you know, I was watching. So obviously with no sports now, ESPN and all these other affiliates are doing a great job reminding us on how great sports are and they're showing all these great yeah. games. So I was just watching the 2016 NCAA final um, mm-hmm. Villanova and North Carolina when North Carolina comes down with 13 seconds to go down three, oh. the kid double pumps on the right-hand side, hits a shot with Marcus Page, seconds yeah. to go. That's right. That's right. So, and then, and I call my daughter and I, I said, you, I, I call my pal. I go, pal, you got to watch this. She goes, okay. She says, wow, he brought it down and then brought it back up and shot it and he made it. I go, yeah, but look how much time's up. She was like, well, this game's obviously going to go into overtime, dad. They only have one chance. I go, right. They only have one chance. So we all know what happens. You know, Villanova drives the, the length of the floor. Archie Dalcano kicks it out with two seconds to go. And just right. like we all practice when we we're kids, right? Two, one. And, and it goes in to win Confetti. the national championship. And, you know, yeah. And, I mean, Mike Stevens is there blowing his whistle saying, you know, you guys have to stop. You can't come on. We're going to review it because that's our thing. Everybody knew that, you know, mm-hmm. that um, the shot was good. And Villanova won, the, Villanova won the national championship. But Mike Stevens, being the professional that he is, says, you know, we're going to review it and things like that. And, and they moved on. But when you talk about that and I told her, I was like, I go, pal, um, that was in front of a football stadium. And she goes, what do you mean? And I go, well, for the NCAA tournament for the final four, 
they, in the last couple of years, they played it in front of a football stadium, not a basketball stadium, so that more people could watch it. So you want to talk about an intimidating right. situation for a referee. You're coming into not 20,000 people screaming, 100,000 yeah. people screaming. How many millions of people are watching it at yeah. home? I mean, I think it's also, especially in the landscape so, of the NBA, like in the playoffs, there's a home team. And mm-hmm. so it's got to be hard to not get influenced by the home fans and like get them to cheer for you. Because I mean, when it comes to the NBA playoffs, right, <laughs> fans don't give a crap like how an NBA official is doing a game or like refing a game as long as they're refing to help the home team. And I mean, I've been at a Wizards playoff game against the Hawks where they were probably making the right calls, but they were all for the Hawks. Mm-hmm. And so we were chanting refs, you suck. I mean, it's like, Whatever, how, however many thousand people, of course, that's just how it goes. And I mean, you just have to not get phased by that. It's got to be difficult. So I got. I'll tell you another funny story. Um, so yeah, it's it's, but it takes it, it takes a special person mm-hmm. to be a referee in the first yeah. place, right? It's a what it's what's called a love a, a thankless job, right? Nobody cares about you when you leave. Nobody cares about you when you come there. You just better make the calls for my kid. I don't care if it's nine-year-old girls, AAU, YMCA basketball, or, you know, the NBA finals, like you said. Because the NBA finals are played by, I mean, mm-hmm. Devin Booker is what, 23? Yeah. LeBron, LeBron James is old at 35. So these are still young men doing extraordinary athletic things. Yeah. So when, when I first started out, and again, you, so, you, so you have to come into this business, and it is a business. It's a wonderful experience, but it is a business. So you come into this experience and you come into this business knowing that nobody really likes you, but you have a job to do, right? So one of my, one of my buddies and I that were coming up at the same time, we would always, you know, probably two, three times a month, we would call our local assigner that helped us get where we are. And we said, you know what? We would love to do maybe a three game Mm -hmm. set of rec ball on a Sunday morning, Mm -hmm. right? So I'd pick him up. We'd go get a cup of coffee. We'd go to the YMCA at like 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning. Referee, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. And then, you know, be on our day, uh, have the rest of our Sunday to ourselves. So it's a 9 o'clock game at a YMCA in, in the D.C. area. And the first game is girls. So they had a girls game. Then they had a boys game. Then they had a girls game. And it kind of went up in age, right? It was like nine-year-old. 10-year-old, 11-year-old, or maybe like uh-huh. fourth grade, fifth grade, yeah. sixth grade, right? So he and I are there, and we're just ready to go. We're, we're getting focused, but, but as a – I mean, refereeing nine-year-olds, you're, you're really not going to get much work when you're a, uh, an upper high school official. You're not really going to get better, right? You're there to help the kids, but, but you want to stay engaged. So, so we would always talk to each other, and we said, okay, what are you going to work on on this game? I said, I'm going to work on getting a wider angle this game because I've noticed in my last couple of games, I'm getting too tight to the players and I don't have a good angle. So I'm going to work on that on these nine-year-olds or 10-year-olds, right? And he goes, you know what? I'm going to do a better job really letting the play start, develop, and finish before I make a decision. So that means that, you know, when you think something happens, don't think, you better know. Don't mm-hmm. think, you better know what happens. And and so that's what, so that's what we would do. So we're there. 8.30, the ball tips off at 9, fine. The teams come out, they shake hands, the girls are ready to play, fine. These girls, this is not Lisa Leslie, this is not Rebecca Lobo, this is not Shamika Holtzclaw. 
these are just right. like my daughter. This would be my daughter. God forbid they make a basket. That's their whole day. Their whole day is elated. That's their week. They're going to go to school, tell their friends, I made a basket in my, in, my, in my basketball game over the weekend. It was amazing. We go out for ice cream. Yeah. This is what these girls love to do. So we're there, and we start the game, and the girls jump the ball. And they're, you know, they're, they go up and down the court maybe right. two or three times, okay? Two or three times. So we're going up and down, and – all I hear from the parents, that's a foul. That's a travel. That's three seconds. That's a, that's a legal screen. This is that. This is that. It's nine o'clock in the right. morning. These are nine or 10-year-old girls. Okay? And we're just getting berated. <laughs> so I look at the – and there's probably, I don't know, maybe there's 50 people. Maybe there's 100 people in the stands. Okay? From both sides. So I told – I just had enough of it at one point. And we're, again, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're, this is the first quarter. Right. So this is like we're four minutes, three minutes into the game. I look at the girl and I go, honey, just hold the ball for a minute. And she looked at me. She was like, what? I was like, hold the ball and stop dribbling. I'll give it back to you. I promise. So she holds the ball. I take right. two steps. I'm at like mid court. Yeah. Right. I take two steps. I take two steps towards the scorer's table, looking at both benches and both stands. And I look at them and I say, if you think I won't clear this gym in, 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 uh, with only players and coaches in the gym, <laughs> try me. Wow. I didn't have another problem for the rest of the morning. There you go. Sounds like a sounds efficient. And that's just well, it, it that's just that's just what officials, especially younger officials, have to be able to project. Not arrogance, not cockiness, but confidence and maturity to say, "Hey, I'm in control of this. You're not. You can cheer. We love that you cheer and support your team, and yeah. that's where you stop." And you see it all the time, whether it's, you know, I mean, I, I believe there was a statistic, a statistic a long time ago, and I'm going to misquote it, so don't hold me to it. But it was something like this. There are 100,000 high school athletes. 10% mm-hmm. go to play on at college. Not, not just Division One, but just college athletics. Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA, junior college, 10% of that. Right. go on to play at the next level of the of the amateur athletes that you see one percent go on to play at the next level be the professional level whether it's in europe because mm-hmm. there's a ton of basketball over in europe and in israel and in asia um there is obviously the nba and the d league here but those type of statistics make you look and say my kid's going to be the next lebron james no he's not because LeBron James, LeBron James and Michael Jordans and, and those type of once-in-a-generation players are just maybe the 10th guy on the Wizards. He was dominating in his high school. He right. was dominating in his college. Yeah. And he's the 10th player on the Wizards bench. Or, on, God forbid, I love the Knicks. I'm from New York. God forbid you play for the Knicks. <laughs> you know? But, but, but those players are special because they dominate, they did something that nobody could ever do. And you just have to really work hard and be born with that type of gift. So when you look at a nine or a 10 year old and you say, and you deal with the parent, that's going to be a, you know, that's going to be a foul. You know, he's going to be in the NBA. I hate to tell you just sheer math. That was not. I remember you want to talk about crazy plays. I remember one time um, 
I did a game. So in the DC era, there's there's a lot of good players because you have schools mm-hmm. like Gonzaga High School and Damatha with their long history and O'Connell and St. Mary's Riken down there in, in, in Southern Maryland. So I was actually at St. Mary's Riken and I had a and I had a, a game at, and Damatha came to town. St. Mary's Riken reminded me a lot of Cameron Indoor, right? It's a small gym. It doesn't have a big stadium or a big um, seating capacity. We would have to actually take people and move them not on the front row because the front row would literally go up to the sideline. Right. So people would be on mm-hmm. the court. So we had to, we had to move people back. And there was a play that I forget the kid's name, but he ended up going on to another school. Um, <clears throat> and he was, he was dribbling down the sideline and he just kind of like tripped. And again, he's a 16 year old kid. So he just kind of tripped and lost the ball out of bounds. And the Demathicos is screaming at me, Adam, that's a foul. That's a gosh darn foul. And he says, he's going to Duke next year. He's going somewhere next year. And, and they don't make those mistakes here. And I go, coach, he just tripped. Mm-hmm. He's a kid. They trip. It's out of bounds. And it was just that type of, you know, when we, when we talk about, um, when, we, when we talk about having, you know, the wherewithal in yourself to know that you got the play right and not be, an, not be a jerk about it, where I knew plenty of, plenty of referees that would go, sit your ass down and shut up. And I'm like, whoa, dude. Calm down. Right. You don't have to be that confrontational. He was just asking you a question, you know, or the, you or you find the other ways where referees would be like, whack, that's a technical foul. You don't talk to me. Yeah. Zach Zorba. <laughs> we actually had. Go, go ahead. I we, hear had it. A, uh, we had a situation like that actually. At, so uh, we go, me and Sammy also go to school together and we go to yep. like a ton of games, both guys, varsity, girls, varsity. Guys JV, girls JV. Mm-hmm. But we ended up going to the middle school semifinals one time. Yeah. We, we want to support <laughs> I was, the team. I don't think I was I there. actually got... Yeah. Did you not yeah. end up coming to that game? Was Josh Probably. at that game? Well, anyways, I got ejected from the crowd for talking uh, too loudly during free throws. And it was just like, I didn't argue with the ref because I realized like he was right. But he just had that confidence to be like, I maybe this is what you're talking about where it's like he wasn't questioning himself about the judgment he made and how I was in the interference yep. to the actual game itself. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. That was just a little story. Um yeah, you uh, so so for me to do that to you, you would have to use a racial or ethnic slur or for instance so here I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. So one of the things again, when you see some of these players, right? The OJ Mayo's, the Draymond Green. I remember Draymond Green caught an alley-oop right over top of me that I just kind of sat there and was like, ooh, my God. Because as an athlete and as a sports fan, mm-hmm. that's your natural re-instinct, yeah. right? But as a referee, I have to be stone-faced and composed and I'm, make like I've seen that a hundred times. I didn't see that a hundred times. I think that was the first or second time I ever saw somebody jump over somebody to catch an alley-oop. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, wow. But – I'm refereeing a girls high school game here in the DC area. And it's a pretty competitive game. It probably went down to the last five or 10 seconds. It was, it was between Wooten and paint branch. So two programs that are very Mm -hmm. well coached and very well disciplined. And the fans, when one girl from one of the schools is shooting, is shooting, all the fans are yelling like Palm beach tanning, Uh 
it was just incredibly creative and it made me kind of smile. And the girl sank both free throws. She wasn't yeah. phased by it at all. But it was just, you know, the the as a as an as a right. connoisseur of sports, if you would, right? You understand how much passion there is out there. And fans are some of the best, the best type of conversations I've had with fans are as a referee. You know, you, you, you go up to the old couple that's sitting on that's sitting in the first row on court side on center court because their grandson or their granddaughter is um, is playing in the game. And you go, whoo, man, did, did you pay a lot for these mm-hmm. tickets? You know, and, and, and you just get a chuckle or, or you see or you see a young player or a young kid, five or six, seven year old that before you get ready to throw the ball up, he's obviously close to the close to the floor. You ask him to hold the ball. While you, you know, do something stupid, check your whistle, check your shoes, do something. So, I mean, it, it, it makes it so I'm a person, even though I'm a referee mm-hmm. and nobody likes me, I'm yeah. still a person. And it's that type of ice breaking that the real good officials, really yeah. good officials makes have sense. a knack about doing that. I have another question. No, go ahead. One, Sammy. Uh, this is less about like when you were like in game refing, but you were talking about like before mm-hmm. you do a tip ball. Is that something like this might sound weird, but is that something you practice? Like you practice throwing tip balls or like, I don't know. Good question. I was wondering. Yes. Yes. So, so it's a phenomenal question. So when, when I, I was taught by, I was taught to referee, yeah. you ready for this? By a gentleman sure. by the name of Spike mm-hmm. Baroth. He refereed my games in high school, and I knew that because when I took the class to become a referee, the mm-hmm. certification class, he was one of the guys teaching it. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I remember. I mean, I'm only two or three years removed from high school anyway. So I remembered him on the floor refereeing my games that were packed and, you know, standing room only at Gaithersburg High School. So his, his refereeing career is such that he got to the division one level as a referee and refereed Jerry West at the university of West Virginia by taking a milk truck, by taking a milk train from DC to, to uh, Morgantown, West Virginia. And that's how he would get to that game. Crazy. So so you, I'm sorry. What was your question again? I got off. It was like there. practicing things like tip balls. Oh, practicing. Of course. Yes, 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 yes. So he taught me, he goes, you know what, Adam, you're, you, you don't have the look of a referee. Just to be honest with you, you don't look like a referee, right? You're not sick. You're not six, three. You're not, you're not very chiseled. You know, you're, you, you call a good game, but you, but for you to get ahead and move up in the refereeing world, you're going to have to stand out somehow to make yourself no, to make yourself noticeable at these camps. And he didn't mean that I need to call all over the place and blow my whistle here and blow my whistle mm-hmm. there. Guys that do that are trying yeah. to show off, right? So he said, for you to get better and for you to get noticed, your mechanics are going to have to be so crisp that they can't avoid you. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, I would sit there in my parents' garage. I'd pull out my dad's car and I'd sit there for 10 minutes practicing my toss. And you know what? When, so 
a little unknown fact is that typically the referee or the senior most senior official um, is the referee. Well, no, not the most senior. The referee is yeah. the referee, right? Then you have the umpire one and the umpire two. So I wasn't always the referee, but I had a great toss. So one of my guys, one of my partners would always start and say, who, who has the best toss? And I, I always said, I have, I, have, I have the best toss because I knew I did because I worked on it. And when, when we talk about grading officials yeah. like we talked about, you go every play, you can go, you can make it or miss it, right? Just like a foul shot. So when you toss the ball, that's your first play. So is the crew, is the group going to start one for one or 0 for one? Is it going to be a shitty toss or is it going to be a good toss? Is it going to be high enough so that the players can reach it at the apex of their jump? Is it going to be, it is going to be in the middle so that both players have a chance to get the ball and, and then we move on from there. So yeah, I used to walk, I used to practice my, um, practice my toss, but then again, I would also practice my mechanics where I would be at my job walking down the hall for a meeting with my boss, raising my arm for a foul. I'm doing it right now. This is so silly. Nobody's watching me. I'm in, I'm in my backyard with my dog. I have my hand up like I'm, I have my hand up like I'm calling a foul. I would practice in the mirror, a travel to make sure it's crisp and nice. Oh, well, technical foul. Those are easy. I mean, so you watch the guys that really wind up and whack somebody or they're little cute ones that, you know, put their two fingers up and make a little T and do it like, and you know what? All the guys, all those guys do is that's for them. That's for them. Because back in the day in the NBA, especially you had some actors, you had some characters. I mean, Mindy Rudolph and guys like that. And, um, you know, the, the Jack nieces of the world, those guys were technically perfect as far as their calling of the game within the rules, but their flamboyance was their Mm -hmm. own personality. And that added to the game at that time. But, but for, for me, some of the best technical fouls was I didn't even, I didn't even use any type of hand signals. A coach would say, you're right. freaking horrible. Obviously he would use a yeah. different expletive and I would say that's, and, and I would just put my hand, I go, I go, that's unnecessary. That's a technical foul. And I'd walk over to the bench and I go unnecessary, uh, unnecessary, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct, class a technical foul, white coach, two shots in the ball. And that's just how I was able to right. not inject myself into the game. And that's, I think, and that's, I think was, was some of my strengths, but Andrew, to answer your question. Yeah, I would practice. I practice my mechanics. I, I mean, it's just like, so when I was, when I was playing basketball, mm-hmm. I would sit there and watch the Knicks in the eighties and the Pistons in the eighties and the Bulls in the eighties. And, and we didn't have, there yeah. was no DVR, mm-hmm. right? You watch the game when you watch the game. Well, during commercials, I would always have my basketball with me. During commercials, I would lay on my back and I practice my form and shooting because I knew that I was a shooting guard, and that's just what I would do for the, for the commercials. And I looked at my daughter and she was like, you know, Dad, I, I want to play basketball, but I'm not really, I don't know where to practice. I go, I said, pal, we can practice every time, anytime, all the time. And then, and I told her what I used to do, <laughs> and she was like, I don't think I want to play basketball anymore. And I go, that's fine, that's fine. I mean, you're nine years old, you you'll find your own calling in life, but when you want to do something and you want to do it at the highest level you can, you work at it. So yeah, I would be walking. I still, I, I remember when, when my wife and I first were starting dating and living together, when we got married, I would be just walking from the kitchen to the bathroom. And all of a sudden I go, 
And I'd raise my hand and I'd say, 22 blue? I'm sure she loved that. Two shots. And she would look at me. She was like, what the hell are you doing? Oh, she loved it. She absolutely. She looked at me. She goes, what the hell are you doing? And I go, I'm just practicing. All right. Well, so. Sammy, what was was your last question? I mean, I I don't don't feel like you guys have to kick me out. I'm I'm having a great time talking to you. Head towards wrapping up just because we've been at this a while. But (laughs) this was, first of all. I just wanted to thank you again for coming on. Okay. This was great. Um, I I would love for you to share with us the best NBA player who you ever had the opportunity to rep in a college game. Um, I would say, I mean, mm-hmm. nobody knew that LeBron was going to turn yeah. out to be LeBron. I mean, we, we knew he was something special in high school. But, I mean, as a 16-year-old kid, right. and I was a kid myself. I was yeah. only 25, right? So I, I, I was still trying to figure out my, my way in the basketball world, in the refereeing world, and didn't really pay attention to, to him. Um, but obviously, with what he's done in his career, he's by far the best right. player I've ever, I've, ever, I've ever refereed. But at the time, at the time – as much as a pain in the ass as he was, Draymond Green was was probably the best player all around basketball player. But did you player rep a Michigan State I game or just an but, AAU circle? Um, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if I ever. I, I mean, I really, I, I don't know if I was ever refereeing somebody at the college level that turned out to be a pro because. I mean, I was lucky enough to work for several conferences in my career, but they were all small conferences. They were all mid-majors. I never got – I never was lucky enough to get an opportunity right. to work for one of the, the Power Five conferences. Right? Um, I did. I worked for the Sun Belt. I worked for the Southern. Um, I worked for the mm-hmm. Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, the MEAC. Um, I worked for H- the Patriot and the Ivy League and the Northeastern Conference for a couple seasons. Did you ever do uh, the coastal? Yeah, I never did coastal care. Uh, the coastal, coastal Conference. Um, coastal athletic conference. No, the the coastal like athletic. That. No, I, colonial. Well, so so you so you have the Big South, which is coastal Carolina, is in the Big South, but then you have the colonial, the colonial athletic conference. Yeah, I think um, it's. Uh, they're in, yeah, the Colonial Athletic Association. That's the one I'm talking, thinking about. Yep. Yep. Um, I mean, I've done, I, you know, you you pick up, I mean, you, you, you pick up where you can. Um, and I was, there are some guys that would work every night and you just make a decision in your life, what you're going to do. So do I want to go out with this girl or do I want to go referee Mm -hmm. a division two game? Eh, Sometimes I would take the date. Sometimes (laughs) I would take the game. Um, but you know, it was just the, the, the competition and the athletic and the athleticism at within the AAU and the Nike camps and the Adidas camps were something that I, mm-hmm. I wasn't getting in my schedule during the season. Um, but the, but the competitiveness of my schedule was quite enjoyable. And there were a couple games, I mean, I've worked on TV, um, where I worked in the Southern and the Sun Belt, and some of those games were lucky enough to get broadcasted on ESPN three or ESPN 
um, or like streaming online. So my daughter, my daughter was able to watch me referee at the Citadel or Eastern Tennessee or um, uh, what's the school in Arlington, Texas. I can't even remember now, but right. you know, it's just, you, you fly all over the country sometimes. Yeah. Uh, can I give one last question? No, uh, I'll you please. Anything, Sammy? Uh, if you were to give a tip to someone like who wants to become a referee when they're older, like they're already aspiring to become a referee, what would be your number one tip? <laughs> Nobody aspires <laughs> to be a referee. Um, <laughs> um, the, 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 when, when I speak to younger officials and, and, I, and you ask them, why are you doing this? If they say the game check, you say, you're, I'm, really, I'm not going to waste my time trying to mentor you or try to give you any type of words of wisdom because, in my opinion, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Whereby, when you, when you speak to somebody and you say, I love the game and I love being a part of the game, and you go, okay, this is what it's going to take, okay? If you want to really get ahead and you really want to move up, you're, there's obviously sacrifices that, that you need to make, right? So when you're a 22-year-old, 23-year-old kid, again, you want to date, you want to go out with your friends, you want to do stuff. It's not like that because, again, I have a, I have a shirt that my wife hates, but um, it says basketball never stops. And she gave me a, a poster or a little sign um, when, we were, when we were newly married that said something to the effect of, we bring you, uh, we're sorry to interrupt this marriage, but it's uh. basketball season. Because that's how, that's how it was, right? I mean, that's how it was early on. So it was really hard for me as a young man with a, with a, a steady girlfriend, somebody who I loved, who I knew I was going to marry, to say, I'm not going to go out with our friends this weekend because I have mm-hmm. to drive four and a half hours to West Virginia in January or in February yeah. to do a game. And then all of a sudden, well, we're going to the beach this week. I can't go to the beach this mm-hmm. week because I have to go to South Carolina for a camp. And I, when you go to the camps, they're not, these are not luxurious, you know, accommodations, right? You're in a gym for nine, nine hours a day, refereeing four or five games. And these are intense games. So it's not something luxurious, but that's what you have to do. Or that's what you had to do when I was doing it to really move up in the world. And now, so the way that they have morphed refereeing in, as the business is that all these college assigners have come under what they call umbrellas or consortiums. So for instance, right now you have one guy who might have assigners in different conferences, but he kind of oversees all the referees in one, in one kind of consortium. So to give you an example, the guy that assigns the ACC under him, the Big East, the Colonial, the American, the Patriot, the Ivy, the MEAC, the Northeast, the Big South. I think that's all wow. in that consortium. But then you have like the guy that, the, yeah, so that's one guy that controls all those leagues and all those games, maybe not game by game by game, because for instance, the guy that was doing the big East still might assign the day-to-day big East, Mm -hmm. but he's got to run it up through Mm -hmm. the big dog, right? The guy that does the guy that does the big 10, he has the big 10, the horizon, 
the summit, <laughs> the Mac with two A's, the Mac with one A. So you have all these, I mean, you, and then when you go out West, it's the same thing. When you go in the South, the guy that does the SEC, he's got the SEC, the Southland. I mean, you have all these conferences and all these different schools all over the country and they're all need referees. So there's plenty of opportunity, but the one thing I keep on saying to officials is if you really want to work and if you really want to accelerate, you ha- there's nothing but you have to put in the time, get really good at calling plays with your mechanics, managing players yeah. and managing coaches, and get a little lucky. But my career spanned 20 years. Um, I did everything from local high school and CYA games up to Division One games that were broadcasted around the country. And when it was, when, when I looked around and I said, you know what, am I going to, do I have an opportunity to get to that next level? And I looked around and I said, you know what, the opportunity for me is really fading. So either I could keep my schedule and keep it exactly the way I was. And I was working for, you know, two games in this conference and four games in this conference and three games in this conference and filling in my days and my schedule as I needed, or am I going to focus on my family? And I just decided that, you know what, this was my career for refereeing. And you know what, if in 20, in 10 years, when my daughter's in college and my wife says, you need to get the hell out of the house because I'm tired mm-hmm. of seeing you so much, I would, I would be very happy to go to my life, local high school, wherever, wherever we're living, and say, I'd like to pick up a schedule and do maybe two games a week, keep me in shape. I mean, at that point, I'd be in my mid-50s. Who knows? But, you know, refereeing basketball has given me some of the best experiences made me some of the best friends that I still talk to today and when when we talk we always catch up over a beer or two talk about some of the fun war stories that we had traveling throughout the country meeting these crazy fans and these nuts coaches um seeing amazing Mm -hmm. athletes yeah and then just kind of watching the game that we all really love yeah it sounds awesome but I will say this don't ever watch a basketball game <laughs> with a referee because we will ruin that's it awesome. for you. All right. Well, we will ruin it I think for that's you. a great place to wrap it up. Um, once again, Adam, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, maybe even we'd love to have you again. Um, if you're interested, you know, we do these things on Wednesdays. Thank you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Certain sports games, including NBA games, and then discuss them. We could have you on for that one time. Yeah, so we'll definitely, you know, we'll stay in contact. Oh, that would um, be fun. For all the listeners out there, just wanted to remind you guys, check out the floaterpod.com. Um, just type floaterpod.com into, you know, any browser and check out all the articles and our podcasts that go up there. Make sure you subscribe to our uh, feed. And once again, thanks, Adam, for coming on. All right. And other than that, uh, thank you always, guys. I have to remind you to stay home. Stay safe and stay loyal.